Hello and welcome back to TGE's Current Read. I am Sam Herbst and my guest today is journalist and author Minna Dubin. Minna's essays and articles on motherhood and identity have been featured across all the best-known outlets, including The New York Times, The Times, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Lit Hub, Mother Magazine, and so much more. Minna is a leading feminist voice on Mom Rage, and she joins me now to talk about her debut book, Mom Rage, The Everyday Crisis of Modern Motherhood. Minna, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here and talking to you. Gosh, so I've been a fan for a while, since your 2019 article, in fact. Um, I was so privileged to get a sneak peek of your book. It's all printed out, nicely bound. And as soon as as I get hold of that hard copy... Ugh, it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna re-underline it, reread it, and it's just it's so good. Congratulations on the publication of this book. I, what must it feel like? What does it feel like? Uh, thank you. Uh, it feels it feels really good. I can't believe it. I mean, <laughs> it's very it's a very strange experience to work on something alone, right where you see me right now in my bedroom, my tiny little desk in my bedroom for so long. Um, and then to have it be a thing, like it's so satisfying. You don't get this kind of satisfaction very often as a writer. So I'm really relishing it. <laughs> I, and it's, it's a long time coming. People think, okay, you wrote it during lockdown. So you had mm-hmm. those months, but you were working on this material, you know, a fair amount of time before that, right? Sort of. I wrote that, you know, I wrote that essay, uh, in 2019, maybe even in 2018, but it wasn't published till 2019. So like the ideas have been swimming for a while, but I didn't, you know, I didn't get the book deal until 2021. I started working on the proposal for the book in 2020. So I think it's true actually that like, or I really started this in the pandemic, even though the idea of mom rage was pre-pandemic. And I, that you'd, You'd pen down those those thoughts and that experience that you mentioned in the book, which was kind of the catalyst. Um, yeah, but you didn't coin the term maternal rage. You gave you gave definition to it for a lot of women who are not familiar with the coinage of it. But what? Who did coin it? Was it Anne Lamott? You mentioned it in the book. I actually don't know because it depends what you're going to call it, right? I mm-hmm. think I might have. Um, I don't know. I use the term mom rage. She used the term mother rage. Her article in Salon called Mother Rage definitely gave me the confidence to write about it. Um, But there are books like in my research prior to this that use the term maternal rage, maternal anger. Like, it's like, what are you going to call it? It Mm. depends. I I can't say who coined it, but it definitely wasn't me. So what is it? Let's let's put a definition out here for listeners who might be new to the concept. I'm guessing if they are mothers, they're not new to the concept. But if we if we're going to give a definition, let's hear yours. What is mom rage? Sure. Um I think of mom rage as the uncontrolled anger that is so common in modern motherhood and it stems from the impossible expectations that are currently on mothers combined with a deep lack of support uh, in the societal structures and also in the family systems. Mm. 
And you're very you're very clear about how um, inclusive you are, very aware because your under was it your undergrad you majored in uh, was it identity politics? You're you know so basically you, yeah yeah so you you very pro you know sort of inclusivity and diversity. So, but you do explain why you use the term the term mom rage as opposed to parent rage or dad rage. Uh, you get yes. into it. So I like to kind of not err on the side of caution, but I suppose let, let's go with that. I, su- I don't like to man bash. I don't like it to be um, because there are a lot of parents, dads in- including, and they're same sex couples that, that might struggle with the similar type of rage. So why mm-hmm. would parent, why does mom rage fit better than say dad rage or parent rage? Because I have also seen my husband experienced a similar type of rage. How does it differ? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I don't interview any dads for this book, which was a, you know, a purposeful decision because I wanted this to be a book that focused on mother's voices, not father's voices. Um, And I do have same-sex couples in this book. I have one couple where one mom has mom rage and the other doesn't. And I have one couple where they both have mom rage. Um, So for me, it felt... It felt very important to to use the term mom rage and not parent rage or dad rage because mom rage is specific to misogyny. Like it is particularly related to gender um, around misogyny and patriarchy in the culture, like the way that the culture disempowers and oppresses mothers. It's about gender. Like even if you are a trans woman or a non-binary person who gave birth, like you are still experiencing the oppression of mothers that's based on misogyny. So you can't really divorce mom rage from gender. And even though fathers can feel anger and, and rage, right? Like gender doesn't discriminate. I mean, rage doesn't discriminate based on gender. Mm. Um, The expectations on fathers, like their parenting expectations are just like this total other bar from the parenting expectations on mothers. So when they when they yell and they feel like maybe they feel bad about it, the badness, like the shame that they feel is 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 so minimal generally in comparison with mothers. Like there have been studies that have been done that sh- that prove that men and women experience anger episodes with the same frequency. But the shame that women feel after raging mm. is so much bigger than the shame that men feel. Like even I feel, I see it in my own partnership. Like my husband will feel bad. He'll apologize, but he won't like go down into a shame spiral and question his worth as a father or a person the way that I will. Mm. There's like a whole different, and, and also in our, in our society, we experience men's anger different from women's anger. When a woman is angry, we see it as a character flaw. She's a bitch. She's shrill. She's nasty. When a man is angry, we experience it as situational. So we'll be like, oh, well, it's not really his fault. The people weren't listening. Right? Like, it's it, he's not bad because he raged, but a mother is bad because she raged. Or in, so in a familial setting, he's putting his foot down. Dad right, is putting his foot down. He's being the disciplinarian, mm. which is his quote unquote job. Like that's mm. what he's supposed to do. Mm. But moms, so, moms, what are, what are moms societally supposed to be? 
oh, you know, moms are supposed to be <laughs> nurturing and, um, you know, mythically gentle mm-hmm. and patient and, um, you know, having no needs, always putting the family's needs first. And which is, you know, all of these are impossible for someone to do. It's not human <laughs> that someone's going to be like that all the time. And so she's bound to break out of this box of perfection every single day. And then she's bound to feel bad about it. Mm. So you make a very clear distinction early on in mom rage about um, physical violence and abuse and the difference between mom rage. So that, that makes sense to me. And you are very clear about the fact that, you know, you, you haven't, your violence is you and like me, I throw things. Whatever's close to mm-hmm. me, I throw or I shout, I scream. Um, and you you have a very, uh, you know, sort of emotive moment in the book where you hit your hand against your palm. Um, or you slap on the table as, you know, so very similar mm-hmm. reactions, but not physically abusive. But there is such, there are such parallels in how that can kind of build. And I think that's the fear. So yes, the two are different, but how would you say, does, do you think that that is, that is what kind of leads to the shame that, that there's this potential in us to let it get that bad? Totally. I mean, I think I don't remember the exact line in the prologue, but I think I say that like the potential for harm, like the potential that mom rage holds for causing harm Every mother knows that. And that is like, that is the 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 big piece of where our shame comes mm-hmm. in. Because we're like, oh my God, am I going to ruin my children? And, and I think that every mother feels that even if they don't have mom rage, right? Like we're all afraid we're going to destroy our children. Like that is what comes with parenthood. Uh, you know, whether it's from our laziness or our... <laughs> Uh, you know, OCD uh, tendencies, like whatever it is, we're afraid we're going to ruin our children, right? Like that's like part of parenting, I think. Um, And I think that, you know, never in this book am I trying to say we should all like be yelling and screaming. Like I'm never trying to say that mom rage is a good thing. I'm just trying to normalize it because I think it's super common. And I think it's a result of, of mothers being treated poorly. Mm. Um, and and that, you know, there's any, I basically say in the prologue, like anything can become abuse or can become harmful, right? Like if you do it too much, like running can become harmful, you know, eating can become harmful. Like everything, if you cross the line can go into bad territory. And, you know, I think slamming my hand against the countertop, if I'm doing it every day, every time I talk to my children, yes, I think that harm is is waiting for for me and for them and but i also think that if the majority of our interactions with our children are positive and loving and nurturing Mm. and you know once in a blue moon we are throwing something that we're not like i I just think there's a you know it's nuanced but i think there is a very big difference between that and abuse Mm. so i wanted to pick your brain on something because yeah i I, I get the feeling that we have a lot of similarities in the way we deal with our kids. I've got I have two boys, age mm-hmm. almost almost seven, and he the other one's just turned three. But especially my mm-hmm. seven year old, when I'm really at my wits end, um, 
often he says to me, um, Mom, I, I know that we're having trouble now, but I know you still love me. You know, or because I say to him, no, no matter what, no matter how angry I get, I know you still love me because I've, I've become very used to apologizing to him and letting him know that I'm still human and I get overwhelmed. And so we teach each other in that way and mm -hmm. guide each other. You know, we even went on a breath work course to kind of <laughs> when we're feeling overwhelmed, this is what we do. But I, I thought to myself the other day, and I really wanted to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> if I'm apologizing a lot, because <laughs> we're reaching boiling point. Yeah. In South Africa, we're reaching like year end. So we don't have like a Christmas break that we break for the year and our new school year starts in January. So every kind, mm. everything kind of feels like it's reaching this critical pressure point towards December mm -hmm. when schools close, businesses close, and we have a bit of a break, if you, if you can call it that. And it's reaching that point now for us. And so my mom rage incidents, my anxiety, everything is, is feeling really hard right now. And I'm yeah. apologizing a lot. And I thought my thought was... Am I teaching my child that when you, you can, you can abuse, like emotionally abuse someone you love all the time, as long as you apologize, then, then are we leaning into like gaslighting territory when he has a partner one day or when he has kids? What would you say about that? Cause that's, that's how I'm attacking myself, I suppose, you know, like it's fun if you apologize, yeah. Sam, but actually it's not because you're, you keep doing it. And it's not letting up and you're turning your child into someone who thinks it's okay to fuck up all the time and then apologize for it later. I, I like really feel how, um, I feel your concern and like, and, and how bad you feel. I like, I, I am totally <laughs> feeling for you right now. Um, I don't, I think that apology is incredibly important and I think that apology is bigger than just saying, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that you're saying it's okay if I fuck up over and over and over and over and over as long as I say, I'm sorry, like you can hurt people. I think that part of apology is also saying I shouldn't do what I did, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that it's not okay. Like that's part of it is, is not saying it's okay. I yelled because I'm sorry. It's saying it's not okay that I yelled. Like, you know, like that, because I, I think rage yelling is, a, is also a little bit, yeah, a little different. Yeah. Um, I think it's saying it's not okay, and that you know you don't deserve that, and I'm here, and and talking about like, you know, what you were doing, like talking about breath work and like, you know, that rep that repair and the d the different kinds of like things we can do and like even strategizing like at age 7 i feel like you can actually start to be like to like come up with plans together like not not like it's not like it's your son's responsibility mm -hmm. for your rage but like just to like make it more of an open conversation about like this is what i'm working on this week like i feel like you can have a conversation around it in terms of like this is what I'm going to try and do when I feel overwhelmed this week. Like, let's see if it'll work. Like if you bring them into it, it brings you such a mindfulness. Cause like they're watching, mm. you know, like, I don't know. I think that the bigger conversation with them is super important. And you're also, you're also showing your kid like that you're not perfect and that you're trying and you're going to try this thing. And then the next time you're going to try this thing, like, 
that you're not giving up and you're not just saying, I'm going to do bad and I'm going to leave it like that. I love that. Yeah. I, and I mean, just the other day as well, he also said, I, I, I'm not even sure of what the issue was, but I had shouted and I was just, I just said, I just, I just need five minutes. And um, then it then it escalated again. I didn't get those five minutes. I hadn't properly repaired. I haven't. I hadn't properly regulated. And he he said, Sam, I think he calls me Sam. Sam, I think mm-hmm. we we need to go outside. Let's just go outside and take a few deep breaths. You know. Then he starts, and I do have a little bit of that. The, the guilt just keeps coming. You know, where I do have a little bit of that. He's becoming responsible for me, but I think. Also, you know, at the risk of this becoming a therapy session between me and you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think that it's that awareness. Okay, he's he's feeling responsible. Let me let me regroup. Let me see my therapist. I said to my husband last night, it's time again. I need to schedule, yeah. you know. So I think it's that constant awareness. And you know that old saying, and I think we say it to all of our girlfriends. If you... um worried about being a good mom you probably are already a good right. mom yeah. right and and also like he's actually not in charge of you and he is modeling back to you what mm-hmm. you taught him mm-hmm. about self-regulation like he's gonna use that my son uses that now and now for himself he'll be like we have to stop and i need a break like when he's upset Mm. And he'll say that to me, like, you're also teaching him how to take care of himself. Mm. And you don't have to do it perfectly for him to learn. Mm. So your son was also the catalyst for you. I think our eldest hold that for us. Um, where, I mean, we, if, if, if you might, you probably, you describe yourself and I can't remember where it was or whether it's in the book or whether it was in an interview that I listened to as edgy and I could so relate to it, you know, where you might have been edgy or had a bit of a bite to you beforehand, but when your kid mm-hmm. comes and you're sitting with lack of sleep and you're sitting with a lack of control because you can't control other humans, um, that's when the rage sets in. And for me, the pandemic really brought out the dragon in me. And in a few mm-hmm. a few other moms, I gave birth to my second child in the pandemic. So I was at a toddler and I had this newborn baby and that's really when the rage properly set in for me so your son was the catalyst for you and you mentioned it earlier in the book so tell me about that that process where you eventually realized you had to look yourself in the eye and think or your your husband also said to you at one point you need to sort this out so what what was that what happened that that set you on this path to thinking about mom rage in this way Yeah. um, I mean, honestly, I think it was both my husband and my son. (laughs) I don't think I can put this on my son. Um, I think that my husband makes me equally uh, frustrated and angry. Um, And and I think a lot of that is co-parenting. I just think like co-parenting has been incredibly difficult for us. And that came as quite as quite a surprise because we um, were so similar. And I think we like agree in general on most things. And so the fact that like we struggle in co-parenting just seemed very surprising. Um, I mean, my rage really came 
on when I started weaning my my son when he was about nine months. And so like in that period from nine months to a year plus when I was weaning, that's when I feel like I started to feel ragey. And also my periods came back for the first time since giving birth then. And like, and so my cycle just like I had PMS, like I had never experienced and it, it like for two weeks of every month, basically, I felt like I could like tear the house down. <laughs> um, and mm. so I started seeing a therapist during that period and I'd seen therapists on and off like in my life, but I, I wasn't seeing one currently. And I started seeing one then. And I feel like on and off since then, I have been seeing a therapist ever since. Like that was the beginning of therapy for real for me. And I've been in therapy forever. Um, yeah, my husband said to me, you need to get help, basically. You need to deal with this because I was constantly furious at, at both of them, but particularly at him, I think, at that point. Um, yeah, so that was the beginning of the journey. So you talk about hormones, and I, in a lot of my writing, well, you didn't specifically mention, you know, you are mentioning hormones. We're, we're going in that territory. So your yeah. postpartum, PMS, and a lot of that, I think, if people were to oversimplify it, you'd be like, okay, she's postpartum. Hormones are raging, periods all over the place, and they lean a lot of the kind of blame on that. You know, women, <laughs> my husband calls it a, a fatal flaw, like a bi- biological flaw. He's joking when he says it, but it, it's like, you know, okay, that's it's that time now and I'm going to rage. But then coupled with that is a miseducation around you mentioned weaning. I don't know very many women, and that's why as a writer and a journalist, I seek to educate a lot of women about, hey, do you know what happens when you stop breastfeeding? Nobody mm-hmm. knows about it. We, nope. Everybody knows nobody. That, that you get irritated just before your period, but nobody knows the havoc that that happens around everything else. You know, So education around that, it's not just the fact that you, you are hormonal, but then as well, it's the, the period, I'm searching for it now, perinatal care, proper perinatal care. Like what, what, what happens, what happens to a woman during this time? And it was actually, I put it under, you know, what needs to change. But I suppose this is also the catalyst for, for what contributes to this rage in women. Proper perinatal, your lack of perinatal care. So leading up to, to your labor. And then you speak about that six week checkup with your with your OBGYN, your gynecologist. Yeah. It's so universal, or at least it is with, you know, in South Africa, same thing here. The village everybody talks about that doesn't exist because everybody has their own shit that they're dealing with. Equitable division of labor, which doesn't exist because your husband is paid better because of the, the wage gap and because he's a man. So he's the primary breadwinner, which makes you the default partner. So that fair pay, um, you know, contributes to everything. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's so many parallels here. A a lack of affordable subsidized health care. Shift in perspective for like um, work. Mothers who take a leave of absence from work are not on holiday. They they haven't fallen behind in terms of their skill set. They're actually adding to their skill set. But people don't see it that way. People see you as just like a, oh, what a pity. She was so great at her job and now she's a mom. <laughs> you know? Motherhood is so political and all of that adds. It's not just hormones. Everything just adds to the rage. What am I missing, Mina? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the thing is about like that we get into dangerous territory when we talk about hormones because then then people start to think about mom range as like as a postpartum thing. Yes. And I mean, okay, so when does postpartum end, right? Because if you look at the medical community, you're done at six weeks, right? Your postpartum period is over. There's no more support <laughs> for you. No one's checking up on you. Like you're done. You go off and you're a mother now. And you know, no one talks to you about weaning. They just talk mm-hmm. to you about feeding the baby, but they don't talk to you about what will happen when you wean, you know, nine months later or whatever. And, you know, I talk about this, like, we can't really say that that uh, that mom rage is postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety because mm, your kid is now like four or six, right? Like, how long are we postpartum for? Like, there's, there's just, there's no education, there's no studying around it, there's no support, like, we're just left on our own. And there's as all those things that you mentioned, are so infuriating. And we're just like, (laughs) on our own to deal with all of it. Yeah. And it's not, I've been saying because similar to you, you also mentioned getting messages every now and then, you know, and it's the odd, you'll get Dozens of emails of women saying thank you for speaking out about this topic that is actually taboo and shouldn't be. And I relate. And thanks for giving definition to something that I've been struggling with. And But every now and then I get a DM that creeps in that says, I'm really sorry that you dislike your children so much and that you're having such Mm -hmm. a hard time with motherhood. I wish better for you. And they're being so kind in their, you know, crass way of approaching me about a life that they know nothing about and I want to say this actually has not much to do with my kids or their behavior right Uh, totally it has nothing to do with the kids (laughs) for the most part it's all about like the circumstances Mm -hmm. and you know I, I just feel like every time a mother speaks out about something negative about motherhood or something hard or a struggle and steps out of the tiny box of gentle, nurturing, blissed out, you know, blessed, quote unquote, you know, you're going to get punished. That, that, what Mm. that email is a punishment, right? Mm. That is the, one of the ways that our society publishes, I mean, punishes mothers for, uh, for talking quote unquote bad about motherhood. And I get those emails. I get those emails too. Right. And they're not always as nice as that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They just, you so villainized for just speaking out. And I've even had some people go, you know, is Ray, Ray's my husband. Is he really that bad? And I'm like, I'm not talking about him at all. He's a great partner and I love him. And we have discussions around, you know, this topic all the time, but we are both, victims of a system and so that you know this is about systemic change and that's what we're working towards so um what is that systemic change what does it look like in an ideal world i mean you know you're really right when you say that we're both victims of it because so much and i mean the mother is particularly i think disempowered by by becoming a parent, but that's because we see mothers as the primary parent, the primary caregiver, but families in general are unsupported. And because mothers are the manager of the family, it falls so much on the mother, but like really the entire family is disempowered. I had, I'm going to answer this question, but I was just thinking about at one of the events that I had, I had a room full of mothers and one father show up. 
And, you know, there's this white guy sitting in the back of the room and I'm just like, oh, God, this is going to be bad. You know, like he is going to have to say something bad. And he does raise his hand, of course. And he tells the story of him and his part, him and his wife. He was from another country and they had, you know, they had green card issues. And so he had to quit his job and become the primary caregiver for the child and he, I could, he like was almost in tears mm-hmm. and it was all, he was so overwhelmed and just feeling like he also is experiencing this rage. And I think he wanted validation for like, for his, for his challenge. And it just was a reminder that like, we are all victims. All parents are like, are victims of the disempowerment of fa- of families really and the neglect. And so when you talk about systemic change, it's really about like, honoring and taking care of families, which I think that most societies are not doing, particularly in America. Like when we look at like certain countries that pay like $14,000 a year per child Mm. in like in education and America pays $500 per child per year. Like there's because there's no uh, universal child care. Mm. And so I like that's one of the big systemic changes we need. Uh, we need better maternal health care. We need better access to mental health care. In, in America, it is so difficult to get mental health care. Um, you know, we, we need paid family leave. I don't know what it's like in South Africa. No, paid, nothing. no paid family <laughs> leave. Yeah. 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 And, and, and for both parents, mm. right? Because even like the way that we have it, it's, it's through the job. So like some jobs offer it and some jobs don't. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because of what you mentioned, because of the gender wage gap, if the father, if there's a father and if the father's job offers it, it's not always at a hundred percent pay. Right. And so, and, and also the corporate world, like doesn't, they don't make it like feel like you can actually take your full leave for men. And so this tiny percentage of men actually take more than two, two weeks of paternity Mm. leave. And so then that system pushes the mother into being the primary parent because her husband can't take (laughs) off, right? Like she has no choice. Like the whole system is set up for the mother to be the primary parent and for there to be no support for her. So I know you spoke to, I don't want to talk too much on this because I actually want to talk about the house of mom rage, but I, on that note, right. I know you spoke to Joe Piazza recently on her podcast and she she talks about trad wives. And I was talking to my husband about it and I and I said like I I feel like the pendulum has just swung that we've been fighting so hard and now we're just like I'm tired. And I've seen it there's a few influences in South Africa that have also just gone Hashtag blessed, baby. I, my husband is the breadwinner and they do not have any control of their own finances. They've just relented. And I was telling my husband, I, I will never be that person, but I can understand it. I know there's so much more to trad wives, but don't you think yeah. it's because of that fight that we've become so tired of that we're just like, I'm a monster for for fighting this fight all the goddamn time. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lean into where the system is pushing me. Yes, it is the tracks have been laid mm. for 
us to just be mothers. That is that is the easier path. And if we can if we can ignore, if we can blot out the rest of our complex selves and just be mother and not want to be anything else, like ah, uh, what yeah. a blissful <laughs> life. Like I get their blissed outness, but I don't have <laughs> the capability mm-hmm. to block out the rest of myself. I won't do it. I will not. And I think that those trad wives, like I think the relationship there is like a direct correlation between the overturning of Roe v. Wade and us not having abortion rights to trad wives. It is all the same wave mm. of we should just be reproduction machines who to caregive all day long. Like that's all we're supposed to be. It's that it's related. It's the same thing to me. So you and it's I think for someone who is not getting the the nuance and who wants sort of a black and white, this is or this isn't, they won't understand in mom rage how or why you bring in your queerness into the book. But you do, and I'm assuming that you were very intentional about it, despite the Mm -hmm. risk, the obvious risk of bringing something so personal in. So talk a little bit about that because I I, um, am not queer. I'm, you know, white bread, (laughs) heteronormative as as like vanilla as they come. Um, and I just love that you went for that um, because you're already taking a risk talking about mom rage and now you're taking an, another risk bringing something so personal about yourself into it. Why that decision? And if you could yeah, expand on that a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I'm already writing a book that is super personal and incredibly revealing, like in an almost dangerous way. So saying that I was queer felt like the least dangerous thing that I did (laughs) in this book. Um, But it felt important to name it because like I was just talking about like, you can be a trad wife if you're going to cut off like the rest of your complex self. And so in the chapter where I talked about being queer, it was about um, the way that the society funnels mothers into being just this flattened, uh, just mother self. Right. And so about two years into motherhood, I was working very hard to try and like claw myself out of what felt like this like cave of just mother. And I was like, okay, who am I? Like what? Because I'm feeling very unfulfilled. I'm feeling like I'm going to like tear down the walls. Like what are the other parts of me? Because I'm not getting any needs met clearly. And so part of, part of that like returning to my complex interesting self mm-hmm. was doing a second coming out process because I had already come out when I was bef- right before I got married but when you're married to a man and you're both cis like I'm you know I look like a woman and he looks like a man and um everyone sees you as straight and mm-hmm. so I sort of went right back into the closet in a way once I got married and then you have a baby and you're like a mom and like no one like we just felt like a very straight family in, in our presentation. And so, um, yeah, part of my, uh, reclaiming my needs and reclaiming myself that wasn't just mother was about reclaiming my queerness and that, because that felt like an important part of who I am. And it it was a way to, to get out of the just mother hole that I felt like I was in. And so that's why I name it because it was one of the things, the other thing was writing. I wasn't writing. Mm. Right. And so like that felt incredibly important. That was a big part of who I was. And so like, those were the two things that I sort of like clawed myself back to so that I could 
um, so that I could like fulfill myself in some other way besides just taking care of my kid. I love it. And I relate so much, you know, and like, like I say, I am, I am pretty vanilla, but for me, after my, after my first child, I started a podcast. I I needed that, that yeah. what's me? What do I need? Where am I? And I gathered my co-hosts and I just, we did the damn thing, you know? And then after my <laughs> second, and then it was the pandemic, I had spoken to my therapist. I, I just said, I, it's not that I was bored. I had my hands full with a toddler and a, and a child. And I just said, I want to write again and I, I need to do something. And um, so I started writing again and uh, started with my podcast again. And a year later, I went back to university and my mother-in-law looked at me and said, are you fucking crazy? You have two small children. (laughs) And I thought, this is my, this is how I stay alive. This is, and it's been so tough, but, and when it is tough and when I am feeling the pressure, I remind myself hey, that's you. And even if you fail, which I'm not, you know, because it's what makes me stay alive. So I, I, I think I take heart from what you, what you wrote about in, in your second coming out. It, it feels the same to me. I just, I went back to study with 22-year-olds just, just to feel a part of me again. Not to go back to my 20-year-old self, you know, God forbid. <laughs> no, but you to, can, and you can never go back. No, no. It, but to just... Be me again and to to yeah. to think creatively because motherhood this the the day-to-day mundaneness of motherhood does not feel very creative. So I relate no, so much to it, that. It is absolutely the day-to-day mundaneness of motherhood is soul crushing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that you like it is exactly that it is about surviving. Like mm-hmm. it is the, what you going back to school was what you need to do in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it doesn't have to be about queerness. Like it's whatever anyone needs. That was just like my personal That's example was thing, writing yeah. in queerness, but like everyone has their own, whatever they need to do in order to survive, to not get uh, lost. You can get so lost. I think those trad wives are lost. Mm. I, I would agree. And I, I, you know, my challenge is also to, to really channel whenever, whenever a new, you know, I come across a new mom or someone I know has had, had, has had a baby. I'm always just very honest and I can feel that they're a little bit put off, you know, and I just say, Mm -hmm. when you, when you start feeling a certain way, know that it's normal and know that here's my number and it's okay if you love it, but it's also okay if you get to a point where you don't and then, you know, hit me up or here's a link to my podcast, <laughs> not to self-promote, but just, just we're here. There's, there's others like us. There's a network, yes. you know? <laughs> yes. So throughout, throughout the book, you talk about the house of mom rage, but it's the title of your first chapter. So mm-hmm. what is this, this house? Cause I, I thought that that's really, it was a really clever analogy and metaphor that you used. And then that leads on to kind of the PR team. <laughs> That you mentioned, the PR of womanhood. So what is the house of mom rage? The house of mom rage is this metaphor I use that I use for the structure of mom rage. Because on the surface, mom rage just looks like a mother with an anger problem who is 
losing her mind over her child spilling a bowl of Cheerios, Mm -hmm. right? Like it looks like the blame is clearly on the mother for yelling over something um, inconsequential. And so I use the house metaphor that that superficial lens of what mom rage looks like. I call it kitchen mom rage. It's like, it's what's happening in the kitchen. It's the daily work. It's just like, it's simple. But in order to actually understand mom rage, we have to go downstairs into the basement. Obviously this is a metaphor because I live in a single like tiny house with no, with no basement (laughs) or upstairs. (laughs) Um, And in the basement is all of the societal stuff. It's all the stuff that's happening that we can't see. So down there is all of our identity issues that give or take away power from us. So gender, you know, obviously gender, sexuality, uh, race, class, maybe religion, you know, age, And then also our past trauma. It's all the ways that we, it's the ways we grew up. It's like the lessons that we've learned. It's all of the ways um, that society has a role here. Like the fact that we haven't been at work for a year and a half, even though we said we were only going to take four months off. Or the fact that we like wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And, but every day, like when our husband leaves, we feel sad or like, you know, it's like, it's, it's all of the deeper stuff. It's that we can't afford childcare because it is astronomically expensive. And grandma, who is the only childcare that we have, uh, because you never get to stop mothering, even when you become a grandmother, it was supposed to come over, but she like got sick. And so mm-hmm. you like can't do what you were going to do that day. You know, it's like, it's everything that you don't see and the ways that like all of the work and labor of motherhood falls on moms or all of the work and labor of childcare, I should say, falls on moms. Mm. So um, there's one thing as well, and I don't know whether this comes into the basement, but I forgot to mention it because I, I mentioned a lot of the things like, like hormones and stuff. You mentioned identity and who the mom is and all of these other things that aren't in the kitchen, that are in the basement. And for me today, <laughs> you're going to laugh, I think, because it was a simple I had a, a rage incident. It's later. I'm recording uh, at 5 p.m. in South Africa, and you're. Uh, it's early in the morning for you. You have you it haven't sure yet yeah. had opportunity to, you know, <laughs> be ground down. <laughs> to nothing. <laughs> it's true. I have not. <laughs> I've had a day, and my poor seven-year-old I just I had a moment of apology almost seven-year-old I had a moment of apology with with him already um he did not eat his lunch uh that he was given and so when I picked him up he was hungry and I had been working because I have that small window in the morning before I pick him up from school and that's the time that I have to fit in all of my work, full-time studies and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, you know, normal corporate, corporate copywriting and journalism work. That's, that's the small window. And so very often I don't eat. And my son and I, when we don't eat. So that's a basic unmet need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we talk about that contribution, a lot of it is your basic needs aren't being met. And that's also why early motherhood becomes a catalyst because you're not eating properly. You're not exercising. You're not sleeping crucially so I mentioned all of those other the systemic issues the societal issues and then also hormones but also unmet needs so do unmet basic needs also fall into the basement or is that like oh totally 
I, I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's all of the ways that I mean, but the it's about why are your needs unmet? Because mm-hmm. no one is taking care of you and you have so much to do that's on you that you aren't able to take care of yourself. Like mm-hmm. it, it still goes back to like systemic and and familial structures not set up to take care of the mother. Who holds like, the mom? Who holds the mom? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, it still goes back to those same boxes. Like all these things are in there, including unmet needs. It's a re- unmet needs are a symptom. They're a result. <laughs> so I'm sure like like me, like you also get a lot of posts that find you on, on social media because of maybe what we write about. And that's about a woman's inner child I actually saved one yesterday and sent it for the purpose of, of this discussion. Um you know, that rage bubbles up when you feel unheard, when you're left without a voice. And essentially when you're in a child, your girl child um, flits to the surface, triggered by something. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's normally your children. You know, when you feel that loss of control or you feel like you're, you're not heard. And I think a lot of girl children, boy children as well, men um, that grow into men, I think we, a lot of us feel like nobody's listening, you know, but... Uh, maybe women especially because of the patriarchy Um, and as Mm -hmm. you say moms who are rage are in pain even if we don't know it do you think it's helpful or harmful those social media posts this this like social media psychology that we're seeing lately because obviously we live our lives very publicly as parents so we're seeing perfect parenting happening um, and a lot of those lies and we have to consistently remind ourselves that those are other people's highlights reels or that that's not the real reality of, you know, what we face day to day as mothers. And then you have this other wave of, you know, short post psychology. So I I don't know. I wanted to pick your brain on that. What do you, how do you feel about (laughs) that? I feel like a little bit, uh, I feel a little muzzled around it because like, (laughs) They're also my internet community, these people. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I think it can be both. I think it kind yeah, of shines yeah. a spotlight. But at the I same... Think, I, I think it's mixed. Okay. Yeah. I think that anything that talks about your pain or your rage is deeper than, than the kitchen. Like, when they say your inner child, they are asking you... they are reminding you that there's something deeper going on, which I think is important. I think anywhere that you can get that message is good. Mm -hmm. But one of the problems with that message is that it still puts the onus on you, right? It's still like, this is about your inner child when it's like, this is about the society disinvesting from mothers and families and children. You know, like I I worry a little bit about the like, you can fix this if you do, if you take my workshop. Yes. You know, I'm like, no, 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 we actually need something much bigger than a workshop. Or, like we need a society like restructuring. <laughs> in addition to the laundry list of stuff that you have to do in a day. Also, you need yeah. to work on yourself, journal, find a therapist, go see the therapist consistently and work on yourself because you're the one who's fucked up. And it's it's like, sure, I am. But also, can we change the system a little here? <laughs> right, right, right. It's a fine line to walk because yeah. I actually do think that therapy is great. And like, I think it should be free. And I think we should True. all be in therapy. Yeah. Like, I totally am not anti-therapy. Like, I am for it. And I think that there is 
I don't think about it as the inner child. I write about it in the book as like trying to find your rage triggers. And sometimes those rage triggers are from childhood, but they could be from adulthood. So like I do, there is validity to the work, but sometimes the way that it's, you know, it's Instagram and Instagram is flawed and it makes it very simple. And I also am just, I'm very allergic to anything that makes mothers do more labor. Yes, I love that. Okay, so... So this speaks to to that. You write about systemic change in the book and you write about uh, the motherhood's PR team, you know, mm-hmm. and, and one of your early chapters is the that motherhood is touted as the best job a woman can have. And you also speak about the scam of motherhood. Charlene and I uh, talk about it on The Great Equalizer all the time. Um, mm. So... Talk about that PR team because I have uh, flagged a an extract for you to read that I'd love uh, to hear from you. I'd be we'd be priv- privileged to hear you you read that passage out loud. But I think we need to just plug listeners into that PR. What you're talking about when you talk about motherhood's PR team? Yeah. So I use the idea of the PR team to, again, a metaphor like the House of Mom Rage to try and ex- or like put a name to this amorphous thing that we can't see. And it's because it, it's very hard to to um, to direct the causes of mom rage because they're invisible. And so I tried to give it a name, this invisible force. And so the PR team is basically the the mainstream culture and the messages of motherhood's PR team are that um, motherhood is the best job you can ever have. If you don't, they, they make us, they scare us. If you don't have children, you'll regret it. Um, that, uh, that motherhood will give you purpose and identity and that it's the best thing that ever happened to us. And, and we get these messages from books and movies, from celebrities and magazines. We get it from our friends, from our own mothers. When you walk into, you know, a store and someone says, and they see you with your baby and you're like so tired and so, and you're like nipples hurt and you're like, you know, still bleeding. And they're like, isn't it the best? <laughs> you only have 18 <laughs> summers. You only have 18 summers. Don't forget. You know, it goes so quick. Totally. Every (laughs) message is just about that motherhood is the best and that you should be enjoying this. And so, um, yeah, that's the PR team, basically. So that's the PR team. Um, Read from Mom Rage, your book, your debut book, from page 54 about how women are raised. Okay. Women are raised to be detail-oriented and good at time management, coordination, and communication. Essentially, all the bits and pieces that must get taken care of. It's not the glory work, it's the grunt work that keeps the world turning. This continues right into motherhood. After the birth of a child, Mothers are expected to be the parent who holds all the details, what the child eats, how much, what must be in the bag for daycare, what time the naps are, the babysitter's phone numbers. Mothers' own needs and details fall to the wayside as they struggle to stay on top of every single thing in their family's lives. 
This additional workload of overseeing all the details as the household manager and leading expert on their own children has proven to directly decrease mother's well-being. The PR team is eerily silent about the darker aspects of motherhood. They don't mention that our mental wellness is exponentially more likely to plummet and can remain that way for years, even decades, or that refusing the role of primary parent and household manager is nearly impossible to do without feeling and being perceived as willfully neglectful. Whereas when fathers put their jobs first, the, wa the waters part for these good men or that the relentless workload of motherhood that keeps us constantly on the move, even when our bodies are still, edges us ever closer to rage. Or that even though rage is a natural reaction to being systemically stripped of one's power, mothers can't actually claim that any of this is happening to us because we seemingly each made the choice to shrink our own lives. This keeps not only the PR team silent, but us too. Because who exactly can we blame besides ourselves? The PR team? What even is that? How can I get in touch with them? Without public warning or even a whisper network, each mother is left to figure it out herself. What we figure out is that motherhood is not the story we've been fed. We have been duped. The scam of motherhood becomes evident the minute our own needs show up. From maternal health care to child care to elder care, the failures of society's systems to take care of mothers persist for the rest of our lives. But we better keep our rage to ourselves because motherhood is the best job a woman can have. So good. So good. So um, I have a couple of more questions, but I do just want to plug that listening to you read that out loud reminded me that this is an audiobook as well. And I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan as a it mom is. of audiobooks because we do a lot of driving. Can I tell you something yes. hilarious? It was yeah. uh, my three-year-old's um, birthday this week. And we got him, he's very into Peppa Pig for all our sins at this point. And we got him a little <laughs> Peppa Pig uh, town that has Mommy Pig's car and Peppa drives around in. Mommy Pig is, cannot be removed from the car. <laughs> all the other figures, Daddy Pig, George and Peppa can be removed but mommy pig cannot be removed from the car. So oh for, for all the mommy pigs out there, this is on audio. Get it done. Okay, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And I and I narrate it. So while you are a chauffeur for the rest of your life, you can listen to me narrate my <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. If you want more of that, do that. But also get hold of this book. Um I do want to ask you a couple of more questions, but um sure. also not as a as a shameless plug. Really not. But I wanted to share something with you because throughout reading your book, I just kept thinking about this piece that I wrote in 2021. In 2021, I wrote um, a series of articles called The Dark Side of Motherhood and um, about all these things that we don't talk about. And so how mm -hmm. nice and fortuitous that 
um, there are that there is this whisper network of us mm-hmm. moms who talk about these things that villainize us in society and we don't give a fuck, you know? So I'd, I'd love to share the opening of this with you um, okay. because it leads me into the support network, right? And into people just mm-hmm. changing their outlook on it. So um, it's called the dark side of motherhood, mom rage. We're heading into dangerous territory. Um, I was overwhelmed and felt like I might vomit or worse if I didn't get away. I left my baby in his cot, told my toddler to wait in the room, closed the door, ran to the kitchen and screamed. Anger followed the overwhelm and I launched at my dustbin, um, which is in my trash can, half my size but big enough to destroy with satisfaction. I kicked and kicked and kicked. The bin had been a Christmas treat for the household. I'd spent a couple of grand um, out of my first and only UIF payments on a shiny new name brand dustbin. And nine months later, it was collateral damage. A safe outlet because were it not for my Brabantia bin taking the hits, it might have been one of my kids. The memory is still so fresh, so raw, so vulnerable, so shameful. And while I could put a comedic spin on it, I won't. Because the desperation a mother feels in moments of maternal rage is heartbreaking and decidedly unfunny. So I wrote Oh, that. God. That just gave me chills up and down. I love that you say, well, I could put a comedic spin on it. I won't. I love that. Because in, in media, I feel like whenever there is anything about, like in TV shows or movies or something about a mother getting mad, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's dangerous. And I, I think as moms... When we talk about it with one another, we also do put that, oh, my God, I lost my shit at my kids the other day. I did this crazy thing, you know, or I threw this or I at one point there was some, one point in my motherhood journey that I bit my cell phone and I, it cracked the camera and I oh fucked my up God. my phone royally because then I went and took it to a cheap place to get the screen to get the camera repaired and they replaced the screen. And it was just this. And I just kept like shaming myself. Well, you did it. You did this to yourself, you know. And yeah. it was like, when we start to talk about those shameful moments, they do become decidedly unfunny. And I think we need mm-hmm. to stop joking about it and and laughing, you know, because yeah. early motherhood, especially, and not all motherhood, sure, but I think early motherhood is, is tricky. And you do have those moments, and I think we need to hold each other more rather than rather than laugh about it. It's not funny. It's not a funny situation. So what if someone is listening to this and they're a parent supporter rather than a parent or a mom themselves, what can they do? Because you you do bring it up in the later chapters in the book. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many things you can do. Um, I mean, one is take care of your, your people's children, you know, like offer to babysit, offer to to be, you know, the Sunday night babysitter, get to know those children. Like, I think one of the things is in in our society with the nuclear family is that we don't let anyone in to the family. Like it's just the parents, maybe the grandparents, like we don't have other people who are like woven into our family's lives, good friends even so that like, it's actually challenging to have someone else come in because then you have to teach them how to do the things. And it's like actually more labor sometimes. Um, But I think that 
And we also don't think that anyone wants to take care of our children because we're yeah, like, this is exactly. hard. Yeah, why would you want to? <laughs> thank you so much. Like, how many thank yous can you give? A, should, we, should we get them flowers and dinner when they come and watch our kids? What should we do right. for them? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, like, it's so much easier to watch someone else's kids, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't have the same emotional triggering around the children. Like, it's – anyway, so one thing I would say is uh, – take care of other people's children, Uh, bring people food, (laughs) bring, bring families meals so that they don't have to and make sure that they have like something really simple to eat for the kids who aren't going to eat like the sauce on the lasagna or whatever. Um, And then, I mean, also I think just being a listening ear, like I think that moms in particular need people that they can talk real about motherhood to even to send that like shameful text. Like I feel so much, so many times after you rage and you go into this shame spiral feeling, you don't, you can't even give yourself the compassion that you should be able to reach out to a friend and say the shameful thing that you're feeling. Like, I just did this terrible thing. I feel horrible. But sending that text is actually incredibly important because it means that you think that you are worthy enough of compassion that you're reaching for it. Mm. And so I think for people outside of the family, just being a mother support, especially like being the person who the mother can text so that you can say, you're a good mom. That sounds really annoying, you know, so that you can give them the empathy that they need and maybe even come over and give them a break. Like, I just think that that like giving moms a break in whatever way that that means for that particular mom is like the job of everyone because society needs to do it, but they're not. So we need to step in for each other. Can I add to that? Um, and I find this, I, I say it with gratitude um, for my co-host, because you need that person that you can send a text message to that will also, they're not going to judge you because they love you. So if you've shown yourself that grace and that that self-acceptance and that to show that you're worthy of forgiveness in the moment or grace or understanding, um, sometimes also it's your it's your spouse that pisses you off, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you also just need to, this thing happened, but you don't say anything at the risk of your friends or someone close to you judging your marriage or judging your spouse mm-hmm. and treating your spouse, spouse differently. So I don't know if that, for me, it leans very heavily into what you're saying, that it's not going to be always my spouse that I turn to for that kind of grace. It's going to be a girlfriend. Um, right. It's going to be a fellow mom. But I am in a very safe relationship with my co-host where I know she might get pissed off at my husband, but she's not going to hate him forever and vice versa by the same token. So when we get together again, the next time we see each other and we get our kids together, she's not going to be a dick to him because she understands that this is we're all just trying to keep our heads above water here. Does that make sense? Right. Totally. I mean, I think creating a, you know, a mom rage support network is about finding, finding people who are not going to judge you, judge your children, judge your spouse, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, what good are they if they're going to judge you, then they shouldn't be part of your network. Exactly. So we have not touched on so much, but I think read, (laughs) read the book because there's so much there. I mean, we haven't spoken about um, women who feel immense guilt for their mom rage because they struggled for years to conceive. 
or they've adopted and how dare they face rage. Or uh, we haven't spoken about having special needs kids and the rage that comes with that. And if you feel like a terrible human being because your child needs extra love and support and you're not being that for them in that moment. Um, Mom Rage Mana deals with all of this and so much more. And I really want to thank you for penning it down, for putting in the work, for championing moms in this way. And uh, do I dare, can I ask... I know it's ugly to ask this of writers. It's not nice. But <laughs> what what would you consider working on next? I think Mom Rage is like an ongoing, um, you know, discussion. But was there something else that you want to lean into? Uh, yeah, actually, that doesn't feel like a bad question. Okay. okay. Some, <laughs> some, some writers so feel pressured. Questions. Some writers <laughs> feel so pressured. And I'm just like, I'm sorry if you're going through a creative process. <laughs> Oh, no, not at all. No, actually, before I started writing this book, I started writing a novel. And then this book became the book that needed to get written very quickly. And so I sort of dropped the novel and started writing this book. But I'm going back to the novel. And it is decidedly very sexy, which feels like the antithesis of mom rage. Um, And it's, uh, yeah, it's about it's about queerness and relationships and uh, a couple that opens up their marriage. Oh, okay, nice. I like yeah. it. I like it already. It's going to be very. <laughs> it's going to be very different and um, very fun. I hope. Oh well, good luck with the with the process, and I look forward to that one as well. And we're gonna we're gonna link all of our listeners and viewers up to Mom Rage and where you can access it here in South Africa. Again, thank you so much for the work you've put in, and thanks for joining us on TGE's Current Read. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I have a kindred spirit in South Africa. You do, for sure, 100%. 